We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What up, everyone? Pat Mayo here. Before we get started, I want to let you know there are two parts to this podcast. Golf DraftKings picks for the Honda Classic is up first. Ryan Baroff. And then, instead of making you download two podcasts at once, NFL Fantasy Free Agent Reactions and Rankings with Jake Seeley. After that, hit the time codes if you don't want to listen to the golf. If you're a football person, then you can give up after the golf. If you are... Hey, just golf person, don't give a shit about football. Either way, I just jammed them all together so there's a break at the time codes. Thank you all for tuning in. And also, if you want to get into a draw for 100 bucks, you will find the links to Fantasy Baseball Fix and Bets. Gary is hosting that show right now in the preseason. That'll be daily during the season. A very quick baseball show to get you ready for either bets, picks, DFS. Right now it's season long because it's before the season starts and all of the latest news and rankings and sleepers and all that shit. But if you subscribe to that right now and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts along with your Twitter handle or email address, then you're in a draw for a hundred bucks and Jeff and I are giving that away on next Monday's Pat Mayo Experience. So please help out Mayo Media Network and go do that right now. Let's get to the shows. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Honda Classic DraftKings picks and breakdowns by each range. If you're watching, then you must be a fan. So subscribe to the Mayo Media Network on YouTube. If you've never left a rating and review on the audio podcast, I mean, you should subscribe to the audio podcast, but on Apple Podcasts, the only place where you can leave ratings and reviews leave one with five stars. That would be greatly appreciated. Also, in the comment section of this video, after you smash the like, give me your favorite two sub $7,000 plays this week at the Honda Classic. And of course, all the stats and tools I'm going to be using on this show are all available to you as well. If you are a member of fantasynational.com, go to fantasynational.com slash mayo, get yourself 20% off and You'll be good to go. A monthly membership right now brings you right through the Masters. But what we're here to talk about today is, A, the Honda Classic, but 
1A is going to be the DFS Open. We can't get together in person to do that this year, but we still want to raise money for the first tee. So what we're doing is we've replaced the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League this week with the DFS Open Listeners League. It's going to it's basically every single golf content provider in this space is going to be pushing you to join this link. So it's going to be full very quickly. The link is in the description of this video and podcast. Five max entry, $20 to play, and half of the money in the prize pool is going to go towards the first tee. So that's how we are raising money this year for the contest. And one of one of the two people who has you know, the brainchild to do the DFS Open is on the line right now from the Golflandia podcast. No, it is not Matthew Wiley, who I will just constantly talk over when he takes one of his extended pauses, and then it freaks me out. It's Ryan Baroff. What's up? Hey, Pat. I am you- happy to be back. And yes, uh, as someone who's done the pod with Matt for four years now, the extended pauses are, yeah, they're tough to deal with sometimes. It's not bad when, she, like, because whenever I do a show with Wiley, it's always like 20 minutes in. It's like, oh, yeah, he takes really extended pauses. Like, don't cut him off and talk over him. Because there's always a need to fill dead air. But on the on the outset, I'm just like, oh, he's done. I'm just going to start talking now. It's like, not done. So it, it's a bit of a back and forth. You're probably used to it at this point. Yes, absolutely. But, yeah, very happy to be on. Thanks for pumping up the DFS Open. We're obviously super excited about that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's obviously a shame that, that, uh, we're not here in person. We had a great time last year, had an awesome turnout, awesome group, but still want to do what we can to, uh, make sure we're helping the kids. So, yeah. So maybe we can get back together in person next year for this event. So one of the, uh, big benefits that you got along with Joe for putting this all together is you got to play PGA national on the Monday after the tournament, right? Yeah, we're doing it again, uh, next Monday. So we're very excited about that. Um, but yeah, it, Look, absolutely brutal. Uh, I've played this course maybe eight times. Um, I'm about a scratch golfer, you know, when I'm playing well. I don't think I've, I've come close to breaking 80. I shot 86 last year. Uh, it's just, it's exceptionally windy. The greens are firm and the rough is up. Obviously, they had the pin locations from Sunday. Uh, absolutely brutal. So what do you make of the proper skill set for a player here? Just looking back over the years, running some stat analysis, I think this is one of the few courses every single year. I think that like in-play betting and in-play stats can tell you a lot about what's going on. But just going into the tournament, this feels more like a like gut feel type week of like, who do you think can like withstand these elements? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Like you can look at all the stuff about players who have done well in Florida, players who have done well on par 70s players who play well in the wind. And I think all of that is great, but yeah, you got to use your brain and you got to use your eyeballs here. Um, In terms of like the model, like the one, I think major difference that I'll do this week versus other weeks is I'll look much more at strokes gain T to green instead of strokes gain ball striking, because I do think scrambling, especially in these small firm greens with long Bermuda rough is way more important than most weeks. So you mentioned the wind and it looks like we're in for a very windy week and in Palm Beach Garden, so that's only going to add to the difficulty of everything. The one great thing about this tournament, though, is, like, your guy could be plus seven at some point, and there are enough holes. Like, there's six holes which are just absolutely devastating. So you have the bear trap, but you also have, uh, was it five, six, and seven, or six, seven, eight? Whichever that run is on the front is basically just as difficult. But you can make up birdies and bunches here on some of the other holes, can't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is obviously not a long course. Uh, there's only a couple par fives, you know, number three and number 18. So uh, those are spread out, uh, kind of no streak opportunities or anything like that. But the par fours are not long here. Um, it's also a uh, less than driver course. So you, I think most guys will hit maybe five drivers here. Um, 
I think that's another angle that I'll take this week in terms of weighing, you know, strokes gain off the tee, but kind of really looking at specific comp courses and looking at who gains the most strokes on these less than driver golf courses. So less than driver golf courses is kind of smart to go with. But the point that I wanted to get to was just looking back over the years at who has performed well at this course, mm-hmm. bombers do really well at this course. And you would think that would be counterintuitive to what you would think about it because it's less than driver their accuracy improves a ton because they're not just hitting the smoke wagon off the tee every single time but they do have enough length on some of these longer par fours that if it's windy they can keep the ball a bit lower not have to club up to like a four iron in order to get it to try to get it to stick the green they can still kind of hit their normal clubs uh, and just have more accuracy that way so that along with just around the green play in short game I think is going to go a long way this week Yeah, I don't have a good explanation for uh, uh, why the Bombers have done well here. Maybe it's just that, I mean, overall, they're really good players. Uh, It's, you know, it always helps to have a wedge instead of an eight iron, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, like we saw last week, there's going to be carnage this week. Uh, There's going to be a lot of it. So I think that's going to be kind of the most important thing this week is just how to differentiate your lineups and just not play all the chalk. So it's going to be tough to decipher the chalk because a lot of people withdrawn from this event already. Doc Redman, he's got the COVIDs. He's done for the week. Gary Woodland, he is withdrawn. Sam Burns has withdrawn from this event. Then we got a rash of WDs right before the tournament actually closed its field as well. So now, like, the betting market has completely flipped. Uh, Neiman's down to, like, 13 to 1 after opening up to 22 to 1. But in terms of DraftKings pricing, the top five, you got Sungjae, Berger, Westwood, Neiman, and Adam Scott. Neiman's going to be the overwhelming chalk, I think, unless people get really sucked into Sungjae. And I really have, I mean, Neiman's my pick to win. I think he's going to be great this week. And especially if you ratchet up the difficulty of this course and turn on the wind machine, like those are the elements he likes the best. Yeah. And I think this is the putting surface that he likes the best as well. I think my only concern with Neiman, and of course you can see the course history. I think he had a tie for 59th and a miscut is that if you dig into it, it's, it's been short game. He has putted atrociously here. His short game has been okay, but nothing special. So we need that to turn around. Um, but yes, he is probably the best play at the top this week. So one of the big things, there's a lot been made about how Patrick Cantlay's short game has gotten so much better over time. Didn't really help him out at all at TBC Sawgrass last week, but, you know, them's the breaks. And someone like Victor Hovland, although he's not great around the greens by any stretch, he's a lot better than he was a year ago. Just looking at Neiman coming out of the COVID hiatus last year. So this would have been the last tournament that he played. And like you mentioned, he, he missed the cut here last year despite gaining strokes putting and uh through his irons against the field and was just a bad driver of the ball uh since then he's lost strokes off the tee once um in like 25 events and his short game has significantly improved basically he's been a different player since they returned to playing golf yeah i i think he's gained yeah i'm just looking at it now but um yeah i mean that's huge for him and that's probably why you've seen him go from a top 50 or 60 player into a top 20 or 25 player um, and he seems to contend um, more weeks than not. You know, he's had a couple bad weekends. I look at um, the uh, Genesis where he was, I think, tied for second at the uh, midway mark and then just imploded over the weekend. But 
yeah, he's due for a win. And I think that could definitely come here just considering how weak the field is. Have you seen these reports about Daniel Berger's rib injury? It's been reported by one place and then everyone picked it up to make it seem like it's a super big story, but it just seems to be one guy saying it. So I haven't heard anything from. Berger yeah. There are a couple of local people who had picked it up as well. I mean, it's probably something he's, he's been able to play through it. I mean, he was really good tee to green last week. So I think, I think if he plays, he's going to be fine. And I think if he withdraws, it's going to be pre-lock, not going to be post-lock. Well, that's good news. Although, I guess this isn't a WGC, so he can't go take his drive <laughs> and then just bail out and get his 30K. Maybe next week he'll do it, yeah. Yeah. So, just shaping up right now in terms of the ownership, no one's owning Westwood. Very few people are owning Adam Scott. And then over 20% to up to 30% projected ownership is Sungjae Berger in Neiman. I think that... You can double these guys up if you want to because the rest of this field just isn't good. So there's no, like, the difference between, fuck, like, do we even want to throw Russell Henley into this mix? But, like, Gooch is normally a $6,700 player. He's $9,300 this week. Like, the gap from 6000 to 9000 in terms of skill isn't overly pronounced. Yeah, exactly. So I think the build that most people are going to land on, like what you said, Neiman is probably going to be the overwhelming chalk. And I have a feeling they're just going to double stud this week. Like you can fit Neiman and Berger or Neiman and M pretty easily uh, because like what you said, the mid sixes, low sevens are, are really that uh, not that much worse than the eights and nines. Um, I think Shane Lowry is probably the one guy who in the nine K range could pick up a lot of ownership, mainly due to the pedigree. Like you see a guy like Shane Lowry next to like, Gooch and Tringali, I think that name stands out. Yeah, well, there's a few concerns that I have about Shane Lowry, but we'll get into him for in a second here. It's just he gained, he basically played as well as he could last week, and he still came eighth. And that worries yeah. me because he's so real. Like, usually, because Shane Lowry has these spike wins out of nowhere, right? And he's won some, I mean, he's won a major, he's won a WGC, he's won a big event over in Europe. And he just rarely strings together consecutive weeks of good golf. It's like it's almost all or nothing. He's almost like the new Martin Keimer where you're not super going to see it coming. And he gained off the tee, on approach, around the green, and with his putter last week. The last time he actually gained in all four strokes gain categories in a single event was the 2019, was actually the Open Championship in 2019. And that was actually a great run for him. He was third, eighth, second, 28th, and first. Uh, not including his overseas stuff. That's what he did in that little mini run that he had. But outside of that, it's like great finish, miscut. Miscut, great finish. Like it's really hard to predict mm -hmm. Shane Lowry. And if he's going to be super chalky, it's just a big no for me. And that's not to say that he's not going to win. He is like a pedigree player. Like you mentioned, he has that name value. But at a course like this, the only chalk that I really want to eat is Neiman. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, beyond the name value with Lowry, like he, he obviously has the reputation of, you know, being a mutter, being a win player, all of that. I think he's made every cut here. He hasn't had any top tens or anything, but he's been, I think, pretty solid overall here. Um, now on the flip side, right, he played as well as he could last week. He finished eighth, but you look at that field versus this field. I mean, that eighth place finish last week, it could be, you know, that he wins by three this week. That's how weak this field is. It is, but like, I'm just looking at the rest of the players that are up there with him. So I guess the, I think the decision you have to make, and this might not be right because I'm always wrong about this stuff, but I think you have to pick one of Sungjae, Berger, and Neiman to go with, uh, where those guys are going to be the overwhelming chalk and hope to get lucky on whoever that pick is. So if I'm not taking, if I'm taking Neiman, I'm not taking him, I'm not taking Burger, which means I'll probably pick one of Westwood or Scott because both those guys are coming in with low ownership, half to a third of even what Shane Lowry is coming in at. 
Yeah, totally. Um, I think Tringali stands out quite a bit up there as well. It's just he's been so good. Um, everybody's been playing him, but I think they've been playing him because he's been just undervalued every week, kind of low 7Ks. Now he's 9,100 coming off on this cut. Um, I think that's a great pivot this week. Do you have a lean? Be like, can we just keep riding Westwood? I just assumed he was going to withdraw, but nope, he's back. Same. Yeah, look, there's not a better course for Lee Westwood, but I think, yeah, I mean, and yes, the field is weaker, but all these guys who are now at the highest price they've ever been, like you look at Westwood, you look at Gooch, you look at Russell Henley, I just, I think it's time to hop off. I don't know with Westwood because everyone has already hopped off. Like, no one's using Lee Westwood this week. So why – like, if, if this was Lee Westwood, let's say, and let's just throw out what the name is um, and yep. just kind of overlook the fact that he's a top 20 player in the world right now. But if this was mm-hmm. Lee Westwood coming in off a second and a second or nameless player coming in off a second on a second, and you look at his ball striking numbers and be like, man, he, 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 like, he had a pretty decent putting week at the players, much better than he had at API, but it wasn't out of this world. We know the short game is good. He was the 54-hole lead at this course last year if this guy was $7,500 he would be 90% owned but he's oh, yeah, Lee, exactly but but he's Lee yeah. Westwood he has pedigree he's playing great in big style tournaments in Florida and just because the price bump no one wants to play him I'm just thinking that you know I get an 8% Lee Westwood and just hopefully he keeps this going yeah I mean I think that's the issue it's a big price jump right from the sevens up to nearly 11k uh, but to throw one more thing in there and I mean you mentioned just looking at, at kind of PGA National specifically um, he's number one T degree, number one ball striking of anybody who's here, number one DK points as well. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think everybody's pointing there. I will say for like a specific ownership pivot, I think for 500 bucks less, like just let me take Adam Scott, who's been really bad, but also loves this course. And I think he can be even less than 8% on this week. Yeah, I think it's going to be a toss up between those. So like Neiman with one of those two guys for me, I think mm-hmm. is the direction I'm going. And Scott's been weird because his driving has been brutal. Yeah. I, well, yeah, like, the driving. I mean, it just seems across the board. He just doesn't. Yeah, he just doesn't look good. Um, he has been making birdies though, and I haven't really looked too extensively into if it was a hot putting round here and there, or a hot um, iron round here and there. But the driving the last two weeks has been just horrible, um, and we know that he's not that bad. So I expect that to hopefully normalize. And the good news is the putting has been great, right? And when Adam Scott has a good short game and he's back at a course that he likes, you know, I'll probably spend some money on him this week he's gained strokes putting in 10 of his last 11 events that's crazy yeah. that seems strange and yeah i mean that's a guy who loves bermuda loves florida golf obviously one here wanted to row. so um yeah let's fire up some adam scott this week so what is the problem with his driving because that's usually the one thing that you just kind of write in like oh adam scott is going to drive the ball really well let's hope the rest of the game shows up and now his game is exactly the opposite of that yeah, I mean, I would probably, and look, I don't want to say I would throw out the last two weeks, but concession was the first time these guys have ever seen this golf course. A lot of people got in trouble. I mean, you could end up in a marsh, in a bush. Like We saw so many big numbers there. Um, and same with players last week. Like, it sucks because he's, you know, he's played well there before. But like those strokes gain, like you can lose two or three shots with one ball very quickly. So I'm inclined to take the more long-term view of Adam Scott. And then add that in with he's a great Nicholas player, has played well here before, uh, and he's not going to be on. So 
Okay, so yeah, maybe what I'll do is I'll just go heavy on Neiman and split up some like double shares with Scott we- and Westwood. Scott yeah, and Westwood, sure. and that way I get away from all that high ownership at the very, very top, and then be super yep. pumped when it's Burger M12 and I lose all my money again. But here's the thing. <laughs> very I, likely, yeah, I, very likely. I, I've now come to the realization that I just lose my money every week anyway. I got to stop playing safe. Like, stop playing just the, the logical way and just play it like kind of the YOLO way. That's, 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 what, that's my new strategy for like the next two months. Until that yeah, happen. and look with with him specifically, you know, beyond the ownership and and I mean all of that because he, he's obviously going to be very popular. Like the stats are not good. Like you look into some comp courses, you look into his recent form. Like it's been kind of smoke and mirrors. He's got a really hot round here and there, but he really has not been that good. His off the tee game has been excellent. His chipping has mm-hmm. been horrendous. The irons have been horrendous. The putting has been out of this world good. So like if the yeah. putter just goes cold for two rounds, like, he's probably going to miss the cut. Yeah, I mean, I think what he's averaging close to five strokes game putting over the last couple months per event. Like that's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, like he he drops strokes at TOC and Sony, and then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. once Sung Jae gets this figured out, he's going to win. But then the irons just have kind of went cold. They were like okay at the players, but he had that one really bad round. If that round happens in round two and yeah. not round three, he's done. Yeah, and look, I mean, he's been putting out of this world, driving out of this world, and he doesn't have a single top 10 since the tournament champion. So it's not like he's really kind of been in contention either. All right, so yeah, something good for me to fade him. So fade him mm-hmm. because nothing, nothing really lines up for him. That makes me peace of mind. So when he wins, I'm going to be like, oh, fuck. Uh, and then Berger, rib injury. Can't take a guy with an injury. He's a WD risk. So that's why I'm playing Neiman. <laughs> <laughs> good, let's do it. All right, 9K range. You mentioned Lowry, you mentioned Tringali. I'm looking on Fantasy National right now, and I try to go through and put stars next to all the guys that I'm interested in. I have no stars mm-hmm. next to anyone in the Nike range. Same. Yeah, like, I... So, I think one big decision point this week is going to be Chris Kirk. Um, he's obviously been absolutely lights out with the ball striking. You saw the short game and the putter fail him last week, especially on Sunday. But I think it's a huge letdown spot for Chris Kirk. Um, he's been playing out of his mind the last month or two. He locked up his status. Um, there's got to be a letdown after that round on Sunday. And then you look at how he's played here, and he's basically missed the cut every time he's been here. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely no ownership there uh, for me. I will have some Lowry, probably a sprinkle of Cameron Tringali, uh, but no Henley and no Gooch. Yeah. Gooch is actually somewhat interesting because I don't think that people will flock to him after seeing that price increase, but I'm just not there. It's funny when you mentioned with Kirk where you look at the history and like, are you with me that the Sony Open seems to have the best like corollary crossover leaderboards to this event? Yeah, just, I mean, name to name and uh, specifically winners to winners, right? Like I do have a custom model of, of about six or seven courses that I put together for this week. And of course, that's one of them. And that's probably the easiest one. Just like you think about Henley and Knox and those sort of guys. So let me try to guess the courses that are in that. <laughs> yeah. So PGA National, Wiley, yeah. Colonial, Sedgefield, Harbortown, and Eastlake? Um, so it doesn't have Colonial. I actually manually excluded Eastlake just because of the field, right? I just don't think it's very applicable. Um, and I did include um, a Memphis. So oh, Memphis? Uh, yeah, okay. uh, TPC Southwind. Yeah. Why, why Memphis? I just think um, firm uh, and Bermuda and windy. Uh, of course, uh, Burgers won there twice. Uh, Justin Thomas won there twice. Obviously, won here as well. So uh, Brooks has won there, and obviously, he almost won here as well. So just a lot of names there as well. So this is just your way to talk yourself into Tom Lewis this week. <laughs> yeah, possibly. 
I think, oh, and uh, Copperhead too, just because kind of geographically, you know, I like to lump these four, these uh, Florida courses together, but I think Valspar is one, especially in terms of uh, kind of the strength of field, which is much weaker than Bay Hill or Sawgrass. So that'd be the other Florida course that I consider. The 8K region is full of names I like, but trust not <laughs> at all whatsoever. Like, I, I think Brennan Steele is a good play this week at $8,700. Yeah. Uh, I think that Fratelli is a good play at $8,200. And you could sell me on basically everyone else in this range minus Ricky Fowler. Like, is Doug Gim just going to have, if he just has an average Sunday, he's going to come like third? Yeah. I'm going to put him in the same category as Kirk. You know, I do think he has overperformed a bit. He obviously had a bad Sunday as well. Uh, I think I think it was number seven where he hit a couple balls in the water and he was kind of toast after that. But, yeah, I mean, not a guy that I'm excited to play for 8,800. I will exclude him. I will obviously not be playing Ricky Fowler. I think, I think this week might be the Fowler funeral. It hasn't happened yet, but you kind of put him here on a course where he's won in a weak field. He's going to miss the cut again. Uh, like there's nothing in his game that's pointing towards success here. Um, I do like Brendan Steele. I do like Matt Wallace. The model likes Keegan Bradley, even though I don't. Yeah. Who, um, okay. Hold on. What, what week does the model not love Keegan Bradley? Yeah, exactly. And I think you have to look at it in terms of his short game. Right. And in terms of the fact that he lives locally here and has just never done well at this golf course. So I think that one you just have to throw out. Um, so I will probably not be playing him, even though the model likes him. Um, I did bet for Telly, so I am definitely on board with that. His um, uh, kind of ball striking tee and uh, tee to green game has been pretty good. He's played okay here before. Obviously, great wind player. Uh, we saw him contend at Harbor Town last year, although that was kind of one really hot putting round on Sunday. But he makes a lot of sense here. Yeah, and he actually had a few nice runs tee to green at the 3M Open uh, over the past few years as well, which I don't think is like a direct corollary course. But when we're just talking about a course that has a ton of water everywhere, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Hey, I mean, Michael Thompson won there, right? And yeah. he won here. So, yeah, why not? Uh, I'm just looking at Matt Wallace now. I can't figure out what Matt Wallace does well. He kind of does everything kind of well, but then he just gets super hot. Every He's changed. You know, he was always um, a pretty good ball striker, but he had a really good short game. And then recently, like over the last year or so, he like completely lost the around the green game, both here and on the Euro tour. Um, but he's exactly the type of player here who he's going to grind out plenty of pars. He's going to get up and down. He's going to make enough birdies. Like, and I bet him, I don't think he's going to win, but I can see him, you know, eighth, 12th, something like that. Yeah, so, so Steele, Fratelli, Wallace, I'll throw into that mix because I'm not playing anyone mm -hmm. in the nines. The one I want to play, but I don't think I can get there, there's actually two of them in this range, actually three of them. I don't know what to do with Cameron Davis. Now, he was Andercurse last week, so... Oh, no. That, I mean, the week coming off an Andercurse is usually good news for a lot of people. But mm -hmm. Cam Davis, like, on paper, fits this really well. I'm just worried that ever since getting to Florida, his game is gone. And then you have, like, the combination of Wyndham Clark and Ben Ann at $8,000. Uh, Wyndham Clark just plays well at this course each of the past two years. You love Wyndham Clark. He's I good. know. Wyndham Clark has been good. Mm-hmm. And then Ben Ann. Yeah, like well, he has the skill set, right? He he puts the lights out, right? And when you're looking for guys who can score and who can make a lot of eight to 10 footers for par, right? Like you look at Burns, who obviously withdrew, but Burns, Clark would fit kind of that mold. Um, I mean, I have no interest in, in on, and it's not because he was like plus 20 last week. He just hasn't been good. He obviously loves this golf course, but I mean, overall, he just hasn't been good enough that I'm going to spend $8,000 on him. Um I'm not a Wyndham Clark fan, so I'm not going to play him as well. And then, um, yeah, I think with Cam Davis, you know, he's 
he's definitely struggled since we've been down in Florida, but he's played well here a couple of times. He's been here. I think he had a top 10 last year and um, he scores, right? Like if you want a guy who is going to make a couple doubles, but also have a streak or an Eagle somewhere, I think Davis is that type of guy. 7K range. I'm looking at it right now, the projected ownership. And again, this is very early in the week. Um, it's on a Tuesday morning, so these haven't quite matured yet. But everyone seems to be playing Kevin Streelman, Ryan Moore. And, Dear God. And that's it. Those are the only two projected double-digit players right now in the $7,000 area. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's going to be spread out. The um, the model loves Streelman. Um uh, but I think it always does, right? He's he's a bad putter. He has not played well here before. I don't even know if he's had much success down in Florida overall. Um, but I'm not excited to play Kevin Streelman. I think, you know, it's going to be a week where there's a lot of carnage. Not a lot of guys make the cut. Um, the 6-6 six of six is going to be low. So I think that might steer people more towards a guy like Streelman who's going to make the cut more times than not. But he's not going to score. So I have no interest there. And uh, I have a firm no Ryan Moore rule. Yeah, Ryan Moore, any course that sets up well for Ryan Moore in like the past two years, he's missed the cup by 90 strokes. And then you get him to a place where like, okay, this is not a Ryan Moore course. And all of a sudden he's good again. It's it's really strange. And then even no, like, like I, I bet yeah. him like in play, like in a head to head a few weeks back, like everything is pointing. I think it was at Pebble Beach. Like everything is yeah. pointing towards Ryan Moore. He was like seven over. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I definitely play him more West coast. Um, he's just such a bad putter that like, I don't want to tilt him missing four footers all week long. And that's exactly what he's going to do. So like for peace of mind, you're good with that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so as I look through this, I think there's not a lot in the high seven that I'm oh, excited to play post and I, I, the one. I disagree with you. I mean, I played post and last week and, yeah. My my sort of thing on it was if he can find any sort of ball striking, he should be good enough. And if he doesn't have it, he's such a good putter. He gets so hot with the flat stick that he can bail you out of it. And it's funny, I had a whole bunch of guys at plus four after round one. I had like Xander and Hatton. And I think Hideki was there. I didn't have Hideki, but he was at it too. And Poston was there. And who was the one guy who made the cut? It was Poston because he gained like five yeah. strokes putting in round two. Yeah, it was crazy because um, I think last week he was plus six after eight holes, right, on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and came all the way back. Um, so we saw it, like, when he won Wyndham a couple of years ago, he was bogey-free for the whole week, which, again, I mean, that's awesome. It does not happen very often. That sort of skill set, I think, is exactly what you need here. He obviously makes enough birdies because he's a good putter, but he can kind of lead bogey avoidance as well. Um, and I'd have to look back. I think he may have been bogey-free at Sawgrass on Sunday. I have to check on that. He was. Um, uh, as someone who yeah, played exactly. him in a lot of DraftKings lineups and bet him okay. top 20, uh, he ended up <laughs> T23, I think. Uh, T22, oh, so he missed it by two <laughs> spots. And it was a nice payday, too, on JT Post in top 20. He made two birdies and 16 pars. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. So so I think that's the skill set you want. And when I look back at kind of when he won the Wyndham, he didn't have great form going in. I think he had a, a middling finish at uh, Barbasol, which is, you know, a corn fairy event, basically, and a missed cut before that. So he's definitely the kind of guy who fits here and uh, I think has a great chance. All right. So the guys that I was looking at from the upper seven, so just not using Streelman, fade that chalk. you know, live with it. Uh, if he makes the cut, hopefully he comes like T56 if he makes the cut. <laughs> I actually think this is a really good spot for Noren. I know he's played well here too. in the past, but when you see where his game is at right now, it's all short game, and that's fine here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think Noren, again, you know, he has the reputation of being really good on hard golf courses, plays well in the wind. Um, yeah, the course history isn't great, but he has a top five here. I think he was even closer, too, because if I remember, 
from a few years ago. I think that's when JT won. Um, he went for the 18th green and two on Sunday and he got in a bad spot and he didn't make birdie. And that was like one of the major differences. So yeah, I, I think I would definitely play Norin this week. So Norin at 77, I was actually looking at Hadwin at 77 too, because while the irons have been putrid, the short game, like what led Hadwin to winning the first time around was this like electric putter where he couldn't miss putts and he was just getting it up and down from everywhere. And he was hitting a bunch of fairways. Mm. And then the irons finally came along and all of a sudden he was in the winner's circle. I don't think he's going to win because the irons aren't there right now, but the rest of his game is kind of back to being where it was. All the fairways, all the chips, all the putts, that's what he's up to right now. Yeah, and again, I think he's a guy who uh, makes a lot of pars, right? He hasn't been bad here. He uh, has played well at uh, Valspar. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then the other three, right at 7,500, List, K.H. Lee, and Patton Kazire. I think I'm going to just divvy up ownership between those guys. Same, yeah. List would probably be the guy that I like least out of those three. Um, I bet K.H. Lee, it's, just, Me it's too. just such a good spot for him. Um, and then Patton Kazire, I think the thing again, that concerns me about Patton Kazire is just how terrible he is off the tee. Like that's a guy who could lose five balls in a round here very easily. So I definitely have some worries there. Um, and he's also very inconsistent with the putter. Like he tends to give himself a lot of birdie opportunities and sometimes makes them and he'll shoot a 64 and sometimes not. And he'll shoot a 77. So, yeah, I just need him to kind of do what he did off the tee last week at Sawgrass where just hit your fairways and let everything come out he is one of the premier like par 70 players on tour though even when you look at his wins he won Mayakoba that's a par 72 he won Sony that's a par 70 mm-hmm. so I, I just like his performance at some of these crossover courses I don't know I, I think I like list the best out of all these guys because he fits that sort of bomber with a because his short game is back and when Luke yep. List went in the tank for a year and a half after being really good tee to green that entire time it's because he couldn't get the ball up and down anymore he was leaving himself with six-foot putts, which, of course, Luke List is going to miss 50% of the time. Now he's leaving himself with tap-ins for par, and that's fine. <laughs> and if he can continue to do that, like he's had success here before. He lost in the playoff to JT. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's a guy, too. His short game has has been improving. Um, he won at Sawgrass last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, so obviously, like, kind of that sort of style, South Florida, the, the uh, Bermuda, the tough, the wind, you know, he can do well here. Um, and yeah, I mean, he obviously has a great course history as well. So I think the missed cuts by him the last couple of years are, it could steer some people off. But again, every time you pump up Luke List, he seems to be popular. So Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see about that because I just kind of do it every, although I've been trying to pick my spots with him a little bit. Yeah. Who else do I got down here? Like theoretically, like, and this is why I talk about like gut play because nothing is really leading me to Matt Jones in the stats. But if it just if it, everything turns to shit, that's when I like Matt Jones. Same. He definitely he definitely popped up in some things that I was looking at. Um, but yeah, when you look at it, he really hasn't been he hasn't been great here. I was very discouraged by his play the last couple of weeks. I've been playing him all year, and he's been a cash cow. Um, but yeah, he either scrambles his his ass off or he's the guy who's going to be plus eight on Thursday. So, um, but for a guy who's going to be probably 2% owned, I could definitely see the value there. So the rest of the 7Ks that I have interest in, I really like Shez Revy this week. So he's setting up to lose like another nine strokes putting like he did last week. But the ball striking is back. 
for Shez, which <sighs> is good. So we'll see how that manifests itself because the guy can't chip or putt. But if you're just hitting all the greens, then you should be good to go. And he is one of the most accurate players on tour. Seventh over the last three years in total strokes gained on Nicholas courses as well. Sony Open has been a nice spot for him in the past. So at $7,000, I think that's an all right play. Harry Higgs has been really impressing me with his iron play, not just last yep. week, but basically over the past six weeks. That's been really good. I like Warinsky a lot, and I kind of like Mark Hubbard. Got it. Uh, I don't mind those. I would say, I think Mark Hubbard, um, he has a wife who's very pregnant. Oh. So that could be like an any minute thing. I'll text his brother and see what we're, see what we're doing with him. Good, that. yeah. He <laughs> tweeted about it uh, a couple days ago. I think she's like a week away, so just be aware of that. All right, so um, he's going off the list. He's going off the list right yeah. now until Nathan confirms with me that he's actually playing. Yeah, there's a couple guys here for sure. Um, I have interest in Zach Johnson, and it, it seems gross, right? But he's like back to making cuts. He historically has played okay here, but he's putted really poorly, which again, like I feel like for him, that's something that can improve any given week. So I'm going to play some Zach Johnson. Um, as far as other names down here, I like Johnny Vegas. He again has played well here. He makes a lot of birdies. The form has been good, been making cuts. The um, the model really likes Rory Sabatini, which <laughs> The, the, well, I'm this, not excited but, about. But this is a sad, like, Sabatini plus hard course usually equals goodness. I, I thought you were going to say the model loves Neesmith, which it always does. He's like the new Keegan Bradley. Yeah, yeah it always does. <laughs> I think I think I'm just ready to move off of Neesmith. You know, he's been pretty good, been pretty consistent most of the year, but I just don't think that's very sustainable. But yeah, Rory Sabatini makes a lot of sense. Um, I like Adam Long as a gut play. I, I just think, again, he's got a little more pedigree than a lot of these guys down here. Um, and then... So the other one that's kind of really showing up for me is Lucas Glover. Um, here, historically, the ball strike has been great. He's been getting a ton of strokes off the teeth and a ton of strokes approach, which, again, I mean, pretty normal for Lucas Glover and just hasn't had the short game. Um, I'm willing to take a chance because this field is so weak. So I will definitely have some Glover, uh, as well as Revy, who you mentioned. I'm having a, a big struggle internally uh, because he's been bad here. Uh, been very inconsistent recently with the short game. And he's just a guy who's just, he's just not a good Bermuda player. He's not a good putter. Um, and so that, I, I think that definitely worries me a lot about Chess. Hey, he showed up at Southwind last year. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Look, he's, I mean, I will always play ball strikers and uh, uh, that iron play has been tremendous. So I'm just trying to think who else. Like, I, so I think I'm more glommed on to Reavy and Warinsky, the most of these mm -hmm. bottom 7K players. We didn't even mention, mention Keith Mitchell. Like, I, Vegas and Mitchell kind of are in the same boat to me at this event. Like, you either play both of them or don't play either of them. Yeah, I mean, both are overpriced a little bit. I just, I trust Johnny Vegas more. Um, I feel like Mitchell, like, still, even though he won here, he should be, like, kind of mid-sixes. Yeah. I didn't realize Vegas was second in Puerto Rico. Yeah, he only lost because Grace hold that bunker shot and then uh, birdied 18 as well. He probably should have won that. All right, let's go 6K, guys. Because yep. I feel like you can play a lot of these guys if you really want to because all of the names that we just mentioned are usually like $6,400 players. So here are the ones I have identified. We'll see what your take. I assume you're just going to play Lucas Ebert because he's yo and that's like kind of your brand. But Cam Percy, Seb Straka, Sam Ryder, Bryce Garnett. Those were the four I had. Interesting. I'm kind of surprised by, I am not surprised by Cam Percy because you love that guy. Um, I was impressed that he made the cut last week at Sawgrass, I will say, because I, I wasn't sure he could do it on that golf course in that field. Um, yeah, I mean, don't have any qualms with those per se. I'm just, 
I'm not a huge Bryce Garnett guy, but it seems like the type of course that he can do well. Well, I um, I also bet uh, Feinberg sixty bucks Bryce Garnett over Ricky Fowler head to head. That's yeah, it's bad. I mean, you could win that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for ownership, like I mean, the first four guys off the board that I see there would be um, McCarthy, Furyk, Hoagie, Percy. I think all of them will garner some ownership. I'm not excited about any of them, but I will definitely play Jim Furyk. Um, okay, so he, very he, here's the case right now. Fantasy National has him projected at 18% ownership. It's just not going to happen. Like he's going to be maybe 10 or 11, right? We'll see. Which is still high. I yeah. I mean, that, you never see guys in the sixes that, be that, that is high too ever. high for a guy who's 97 years old. I'm sorry. True, true. Um, I definitely hope that he's lower than that. But yeah, I mean, Furek obviously fits a lot of builds. I'm not really worried about him missing the cut. You know, he's not going to win. He's not going to top 10. But I think there's a lot of value there. Um, I think on that kind of old guy note, you know, Patrick Harrington makes a lot of sense to me as like a half percent owned flyer. I, um, I would prefer I would prefer playing Harrington over playing Furek this week. But I don't think I'm going yeah. to either. No, I mean, look, he the guy's won here. He seems to be motivated again. He's uh, playing a lot of golf. Um, I think the chalk is going to be Wes Bryan. I don't know if I'm right on that or not, but it seems like he's getting talked about. He's made a few cuts in a row. Um, he has a top 10 here. He obviously fits the mold of short par 70 Bermuda uh, one Hilton head, but just not a guy that I'm super excited about. Um, I'm going to play Bronson Bragoon. I think you mentioned Straka, who's right there, but right below him, I love Bronson Bragoon this week. Uh, I could see him contending. Really? Why? I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, <laughs> but the few times that I've played him this year, I've just been very impressed. Just He seems to have gotten much more consistent. He usually does it with the ball striking. You know, He's got really good iron rounds. Um, and yeah, I mean, a Texas guy, Oklahoma guy, plays well in the wind. Um I, yeah, I mean, more of a gut play, but uh, very high on uh, Bronson Bragoon this week. He has ma- made four cuts in a row, no finish inside the top 35. At his best, I think that we, he just feels more like a showdown play to me than a full full round DraftKings play. Yeah, I can see that. Because like he'll shoot minus seven, but he might follow it up with an 85. Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, played uh, played Pebble Beach well a couple of times too. So you look at how he does on on short golf courses. So that may be something as well. But like, yeah, I mean, it's a guy who can be one percent owned. Who would help me make those, you know, Neiman Scott or uh, Neiman Westwood bills for sure? My issue with the upper sixes is that I don't see a huge difference between those guys and the guys in the lower sixes. Like, yeah, like, especially with upside. Like, there's none of these guys who I think have a shot to actually win. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, uh, what are you going to do with Stenson? Because he's no. now continually priced down here. I mean, he is a scrub at this point. But, like, one of these weeks in the 6K range, he's going to pop up. Uh, I haven't played him in all the last couple of weeks, but, I mean, any interest there? No, I don't. Just last week just scares me too much how bad he was. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, he was basically dead last with Benny on last week. So, um I'm trying to look what else here. So here's the model my, likes Brian Stewart. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's Bermuda in a short course. Of course it does. does but it, the guy has been terrible here. So does it like Chase Seifert? Because Chase Seifert is someone that I like just in general. But when I look at the courses where he's played well at in the past, this mm-hmm. would seem to set up well for him. Same. Yeah, it definitely does. So that would be one of the guys down here I would consider. The other guy, um, which I'm trying to figure out, the model likes Kramer Hickok quite a bit. Um, 
I don't know what Kramer Hickok actually does well, but maybe he, he I mean putts, doesn't he? I guess, but he's two for two making cuts here. Um, so maybe that's something. But this model actually doesn't have course history baked in. So he was 21st last year and 30th in 2019. If the model likes him and he has good course history, I guess I have to play some of him. I'll tell you what he doesn't like to do, and that's hit irons well. Yeah, that seems like a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> could be an issue. I don't know. Yeah. And you never know in the week. Like, you could see someone like, I don't know. Like, why not someone like Stuart Sink? Who, like, if you're going to play Furick at 18% ownership, why not just play mm-hmm. Sink for cheaper at 2% ownership? They're, I know that they don't have the same skill set, but they're the same type of player at this point. Um, yeah, I don't have any issues with that at all. And sink. Oh, good. Three missed cuts in a row. Excellent news. Excellent news, Stu Manji. Lower that ownership, baby. Yeah, yeah. I probably can't get there with him. But, like, Perez is playing slightly better. Von Taylor on paper should be really good at this course, but I don't think that he is ever. Like, Armour is going to hit every fairway. Maybe he gets hot with the irons. I guess that's why these guys are 6500 bucks. But, like, is it? It's a coastal. Yeah, one thing. It's a coastal course. So one thing, G-Mac? G-Mac? he's been really bad. I mean, but look, a guy who's obviously, I think he's one here, but it's been really good here. Um, so I just, I just put up Kramer Hickok again. And I looked at last 24 rounds of those six or eight comp courses that I used. He is 11th strokes gain T to green in the last 24 rounds. He is ninth in the last 12 rounds. He is sixth in the last eight rounds and ninth in the last four rounds. So I don't know where that's coming from, but it seems good. So, so, yeah. So, here, so, Hickok. so here's the move. Bet Kramer Hickok first round later. Right? Yeah, I think that's it. So, um, so Burgoon, Hickok. Just try, yeah. tune in tomorrow live at noon Eastern time for my losing first round leader bet. It's been a rough year for me, first round leader. And that's usually like my strong suit. It's weird. Yeah, I gave up on that. Uh, I had, I think, maybe one or two ever. But yeah, just it's a very bad idea. It's a losing proposition for sure. I do think that just overall thinking about tournament strategy this week, actually one of my best finishes ever in a large GPP was at this tournament with a five of six, mm-hmm. the year that I had Thomas Norin list all in the same lineup, whatever year that was. And then I ended up using basically the same lineup at uh, heritage and had an even better performance, mm-hmm. but it, I was yep. the highest five of six in that tournament. I think I was like ninth or something like that, that you can, as long as you have guys that are up top on the leaderboard, you can make some money with a five of six this week, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, any cash game will sweep with five or six this week, maybe four or six a win, um, uh, kind of most as well. But um, yeah, just, you know, be very unique with the construction, like what you said. I think ownership is going to be huge. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any kind of win draw, but it's definitely something for you to look out for. But it's probably just going to be windy the whole time. So. Yeah, I, I looked at the early wind and I rarely do that. But I know this is one of the courses where that actually gets influenced a little bit more. And I will have an update again on the Wednesday show about the what the wind is looking like. Because I checked yesterday and there was no wind on Thursday and it was all on Sunday. Now all the wind is on Thursday. And it's like the, the least amount it is on Saturday and Sunday now. Uh, and even from what I checked this before the show starts, that you know, it's the wind. It's going to be wrong whenever you look at prognostication. It's Florida. It's wind, right? It's but I yeah. think, but I always think in weeks where you know that there is going to be wind, but maybe you're not able to project it whatsoever, that just build some AM-PM stacks and then also build some PM-AM stacks and hopefully you get lucky. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing that, that I'll add just in terms of, of kind of weather and uh, course conditions um, is we haven't had a lot of rain here. So I do think the greens are going to be very, very firm. 
uh, which will one, I think, again, it's going to put an added emphasis on, on iron play, but also the around the green game. So I do think you're going to see guys hit basically half of these greens, or maybe slightly more than half, and they're going to need to scramble quite a bit. So what do I got for bogey avoidance this week? Sung Jay, Wyndham Clark, Tringali, Russell Henry, your boy, Jim Furyk, Matt Jones, Stenson. Good God. When's this drawn? That sounds like a good list minus Stenson. But. Uh, Knox, Stallings, Ryan Moore, and Poulter. A lot of guys who've played well at this course. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The other thing I wanted to say, just as I'm looking at, at, at these comp courses that I pulled up, uh, there is one player who is number one tee to green, both in the last four rounds and the last eight rounds. Any guesses? We bet him. K.H. Lee? K.H. Lee. So, yeah, just I think he plays well on these kind of harder, shorter courses. So, big K.H. Lee fan this week. All right, let's go K.H. Lee. Let's keep your ownership like 5%. We'll be good to go. When you hoist a trophy, we can cash the betting ticket, and we can win some DraftKings tournaments. We'll be fine. That's right, back-to-back South Korean winners. Let's do it. Oh, at this event, I was like, I don't think that Justin yeah. Thomas is <laughs> Yeah, at this Korean. event, no. <laughs> Maybe Justin Thomas is. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that was awesome. He was so good on Sunday. I, I I actually thought that he wasn't going to win because he was playing so well on the front nine and made no headway whatsoever. That eventually, like, yeah, I mean, he hit every green and was what plus one after eight holes. Yeah, um, yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, it sucks that you didn't have that ticket. It 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 seems like a you know the type of community win you're normally uh, leading the way on. So yeah, I, I actually didn't see that many Justin Thomas tickets floating out there. It, it seemed like, like, cause even I said on the cut sweat show, when we were going over it after the rounds, like Justin Thomas at 40, like if any one of these guys is going to make a run, that's yeah. the move. And then on the Thursday or on the lead up show, I was talking to Jeff and it was like, for whatever reason, I just talked myself into Cantlay and I had myself talked into Cantlay. And despite mm-hmm. the fact that him and Justin Thomas were essentially the same number, being like, oh, why not just take the significantly better player? <laughs> but it seemed like a lot of people were somewhat hesitant to pull the trigger. If they didn't get the 20 right away, because he dropped yep. into the 18, he dropped into like the 17, 16 range, that that's just such a huge mental hurdle to get over for a lot of people, especially like it's like this week where Neiman has now dropped like 13 or 14 to one that people yep. won't bet that because they missed the 20. Yeah, for sure. And look, I think there was a lot of noise out there with JT. You know, he obviously hasn't been great the last couple of months, had a lot going on. But what I told Jeff last Wednesday when I joined his Periscope is like, one, we always bet JT at 20. Um, but two, like anybody who has led Burdigers or better at this course over the last five years, like there's no reason not to play him. Like he's going to score. He's going to make birdies. He just has to avoid the big numbers, which luckily he did over the weekend. Well, this is why I'm a loser and you have like a six-figure <laughs> cash to your name. Yeah, and look, it's it, it's honestly probably the same thing here. So, I mean, you want to look back at these comp courses, but also here at PGA National, who scored the most DK points. Like, I mean, your guy, Wyndham Clark, is going to be up there, but, like, maybe that is why we play Westwood and we try GMAC uh, and we play Russell Henley and on and Poston. I don't love them, but, like, they obviously like this golf course. So We didn't even mention Poulter, who's had some nice runs here. He's just been kind of bad lately. I'm just I'm just over it, right? Like, he's just been very average. Um I don't know what it is. He hasn't been great the few events he's played in Europe. He hasn't been great here. Um, I just see him kind of, he's going the wayside of, of these older guys like Stenson, like Rose. I think, I think the time has just passed. For people wondering, uh, oh, you know what? I'm going to just go 2018, 2019. Just give me a sec here to click on these things. And so the last three years at PGA National, just, just take that out and I'm going to go average per round. 
and look yep. at D- DK points per round. Norin is by far the best. Redmond actually would have been second. So it's Norin, Charles, yep. Sungjae, Hubbard, Wyndham Clark, Adam Scott, Cam Davis, Robbie Shelton, Ben Ann, and Luke List. That's your top 10. Yeah. Look, I mean, let's fire up some Norin Scott teams at, 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 you know, very low ownership. That could be fun. All right, let's do it. I like it. Ryan Baroff, where can everyone follow you on Twitter and listen to your extremely good commentary? <laughs> good. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Baroff 427 on uh, Twitter. DMs are always open. I do try and uh, hopefully answer any questions you have, but also I don't take myself too seriously. So I am no expert. Um, the Golflandia podcast, which we will record later tonight, and then, as Pat said at the start of the show, please join the uh, DFS Open, um, a virtual event this week. It is for charity. Half that money is going to go straight to the first tee. Make sure those kids have the resources they need in terms of lessons and clubs and balls and that they can go play in tournaments and all of that. So uh, very excited that kind of we can help them out. And definitely wanted to shout out and say thank you to DraftKings uh, for not only hosting, but they are going to donate $10,000 on top of whatever we raise for the first tee. Ah, so we're, we're looking, and once this tournament fills, so at least 30K going to the first team? At least 30K, yeah. Plus, oh, sorry, we will also have a direct uh, donation link for anybody who either wants to donate more um, or they missed the tournament for whatever reason. We will have that available so you can still participate and you can donate towards the first team. Do you get tax receipts for those? We can send you them. Perfect. There you go. Help me yes. with my taxes bear off. Okay. That's it. Yes. No. Um, yeah. And again, like we are very looking forward to a 2022 DFS open, whether that's here at the Honda again, or we go somewhere else. But uh, I think it worked out well last year. We had a great crowd, you know, you, Jeff, Moose, uh, Rick, Raza. I thought it was great. So uh, I, I would say come to us, but I, I doubt that you'd be surprised how many Americans I've met that don't have passports. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could see us going somewhere like, I think we talked about this because DraftKings is there, but I mean, Boston, right? For the Northern Trust or uh, Dell Technologies, whatever that is, I, I think that'd be a very fun place to go to. Yeah, I, I think that we should just, we should move the DFS open to September in 2024 and just do it in Montreal. Hey, I would love that. It'd be awesome. We can do the entire set of shows from there that week and then everyone gets to go to Montreal, which is probably the best place you can go in North America for three days. That and probably Baton Rouge. Yeah, that would be dangerous. Montreal sounds a lot better than Baton Rouge. <laughs> I've never been to Baton Rouge, but everyone I know who's been there has said it's been that New Orleans have been fantastic. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Ryan Baroff, check him out. And please play in the DFS Open DraftKings League this week. 2021 NFL free agency day two not real free agency because that doesn't actually happen until Wednesday but we got these reported signings so I want to break it down from a fantasy angle from it if you want to hear more about the overall signings tune into Tuesday show as we tune into Monday show as we recap day one of everything up on Mayo Media Network please subscribe to Mayo Media Network right now if you haven't done that also smash the like button to the episode who do you think is the worst signing fantasy wise for any player that has signed so far Anything that has not happened as of this recording, shockingly enough, we will not be getting to on this show. I know that's a difficult concept for a lot of people to run through their brains, but that's just the reality of the situation. We'll be tuning back in later on in the week once most of the stuff is wrapped up. More people have signed because none of the huge wide receivers have signed so far, and we're going to want to talk about that. But Fantasy Spin today from TheAthletic.com, we got Jake Seeley on the line. What's going on, my man? 
<laughs> not too much. Well, a lot in the past day or two that all of a sudden, I think I was joking about it on Twitter and said, remember the days when it used to be don't tamper at all. And then it was the NFL was like, all right, we'll let you. And we're going to keep monitoring. And now it's just like, screw it. Everybody sign whatever the hell you feel like it. Yeah. Le- legal tampering period. I like it, though. It- it's almost like the NBA where it gives you something to talk about. And that's all the NFL is trying to do. You make this a 12 month a year sport. You need something to fill in because people aren't like you can't go to the combine this year, right? No, I actually would have been there, well, last week-ish, somewhere. It, it, it kind of depends. I don't know exactly what it, where it would have fallen, but yeah, I should have been there. It would have been a lot of fun, but no, there's no combine this year. There's only pro days, and even those, those are very limited who, who's allowed to be there. Um, but yeah, so you have the combine, but we still had the NFL free agency around this time anyway, and then next month is the draft, and then now that, yeah, like you said, football is 12 months a year. It doesn't stop. No, and this is good for the media cycle to get people back talking about the NFL to drown out some of the March Madness coverage. If you're looking for golf, March Madness, hockey, or baseball coverage, all new up on Mayo Media Network right now as well. If you're listening to the audio podcast of this, you know it's coupled together in one mega show with the golf DraftKings picks of the day. So, you know, just I didn't want to make you download two things. You can just download one thing. It makes it much easier. You can just, I guess if you're listening to this part now, you've already skipped the golf or already listened to it. So thank you for tuning in (laughs) to all of it. So to timestamp this, this is 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on a Tuesday afternoon. The Jags have just signed Shaq Griffin to a three-year deal. So we don't really care about that for fantasy purposes. What we care about is what the- hey 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 i care about it for my 20 dollar bet on DraftKings sportsbook the day after the super bowl where i put hey, i said look trevor lawrence a ton of free agency money and uh free agent all that type of stuff plus the draft i, I put 20 dollars on the on the sportsbook on the, the jaguars to win the super bowl what were their so odds? i do care plus ten thousand. all right so 100 to one all right so you win two thousand yeah. bucks that they win all right well, good. Yeah. well let's go yeah. jags Let's figure it out. Let's go Jags. Uh, Let's start in New England. They made four (laughs) fantasy impact signings. Well, I don't know how impactful they're going to be, but they made signings with skill players. So let's talk about them. Two tight ends, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, both going to New England. Uh, Nelson Aguilar now in New England. Kendrick Bourne now in New England. What do you care? Let's just start with tight end. Henry and Jonu. Are they going to ask any of these guys to block? Uh, yeah. So, well, there's a couple things here is look, and I'm reading it off cause I have the stats here. So Jimmy Eisenberg tweeted out when I was looking it up. So he saved me the trouble, but Cam Newton averaged 118 targets to Greg Olson from 2012 to 2016. All right. 118 targets. Well, obviously that's not enough if you split it between the two of them. And even if you gave somebody 60, 40, but the point being there is to take it further is what your next question is and saying about the blocking as I look this up and Hunter Henry is yearly been better than John o. Smith as a blocker, according to PFF, his worst season is close to the best season of John. O. So if you say that, you assume one of the two is going to be able to block more than the other. That's Hunter Henry on the flip side of it. Jono's excitement that we saw is so he has 1.59 yards per route run to 1.35 for Henry. On the flip side, Smith ran 18.8 routes while Henry ran 32.4. So Henry's coming down, but where it was, Jono was going up a lot because he could have had all those targets. He could have been on the field running routes a hell of a lot more and those yards per route run. We were excited for it. He should probably run a few more than Henry, but now I wouldn't be surprised that their year-end numbers are very similar. And from a week-to-week standpoint, it's going to be infuriating. Like, I, 
I would say they finish as low end tight end ones, but I don't want either of them. Well, it just strikes me that New England is making moves on defense. They're going to get a lot of defensive starters back who opted out from a year ago. And with Cam Newton back at quarterback, this just strikes me as a supremely run-heavy offense. And then you're just not going to have the overall target share coming from Cam because he's just not going to throw the ball that much. Now, this could completely change by the time the NFL draft comes around and maybe they opt into a different situation under center, uh, maybe after week four or something like that, or hell, maybe even to start the season. But you'd have to think that both these guys <laughs> are probably outside the top 10 in this offense definitely even if the situation was a different quarterback it like uh, this isn't going to happen but like even if you brought in Deshaun Watson or something like that well you know obviously this isn't the team that's rumored for him really but it, hell if they would have been the ones to sign Fitzpatrick when we get ready to talk about him even if you give him a quarterback situation that passes more runs fewer times than Cam Newton and this offense as a whole. And you could say they'll pass a little bit more. We've seen Cam Newton pass. We've seen Cam Newton reach the high 3000s and 30 touchdowns. And I don't think he's going to ever get back to that. Cam Newton as a whole, I do believe when he's talking about last year and how the COVID impacted him, he went to a new team. He was learning a new playbook. He missed all those weeks. Uh, I had Brian McFadden on the podcast. who was talking about Antonio Brown when he signed, wouldn't show up till December that Gronkowski wasn't going to show up until the middle of the season, all those type of things, because there's a big impact of being able to practice and actually practice with the team and how the rookies were going to come along slow. And we saw all that, all that came to fruition because of time with the team. So I do believe Cam to a degree. Do I think he's going to be great? No, but can he pass for 3,300 yards and 20, 23 touchdowns somewhere around there? Sure. But now when we haven't even gotten to the wide receivers, there's just too many pieces here. Like the cliche of too many mouths to feed. This is actually when it holds true. Just Cam Newton, even at his best, is not going to throw for 4,000 yards. And even if we had somebody throw for 4,000 yards, we would still be hesitant of both tight ends in a week-to-week -week basis. So top 10, probably not. Fringy top 10, low-end tight end one. You could see maybe John who more likely than Henry and both of them be around there. But again, I'm going to go back to the point of it could be one week, Janu, next week, Henry, next week, Henry, next week, Janu, next week, neither of them. And that's the problem. Unless one of them establishes themselves as the dominant red zone presence on this team, I, I'm completely with right. you. And we're not going to know that before the season, obviously, so it's going to be tough to draft them. But it does sound like you're going to get some discount options. I was actually looking at best ball results from this morning. Not a huge sample, but both these guys going outside the top 13 at tight end to kick off the year. So then you introduce Aguilar, you introduce Bourne. Bourne, who's been a good red zone presence in San Francisco over the past yeah. few years, sort of a pesky guy to have on that field when you play any of the other San Francisco 49ers like oh good Kendrick Bourne has three catches for two touchdowns and three yards fantastic <laughs> news but like Edelman's coming back isn't he you still have Nikhil Harry I'm curious to see what happens with the rest of this Patriots offense and whether they just start cutting guys yeah, so cutting guys and or trading, we've already heard the rumors of Nikhil Harry be on the trading block. Oh, great. So what, 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 what are they going to get him? Like, they'll have to, like, here, fifth, have, have Nikhil rounder. Harry and a fourth-round pick, and you can take him? <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it's pretty bad. Like, they're kind of pulling the Dave Gettleman of sell high, or sell low, sell low instead of selling high. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see if Harry's there. The one, actually, I don't know that Gettleman's a guarantee, uh, only because – at this point of his career with the injury stacking up and what apparently the Patriots are doing, do the Patriots bring him back? Because the thing with Kendrick Bourne is even with Debo, even with George Kittle, even with Brandon Ayuk, who did run a hell of a lot on the outside as he can, 
he still is in the slot almost 40% of the time. And you mentioned that he's like a slot red zone presence. Uh, if he's there, do you run him outside that much? And even if so, it seems like at best case, he's the number three wide receiver. If I don't know, maybe Edelman doesn't come back. Then you run Aguilar and Bourne as your one and two and they get rid of Harry. But there's just a lot here. If things are going to have to clear up, I mean, Aguilar as of today is the number one wide receiver, whether or not Harry's there, whether or not, you know, Edelman's 100% is the only one that could throw the wrench into that. If Edelman's back and he's anything close to what he was, then sure, he'll be the number one and Aguilar the number two. And in that case, you don't, it's similar to the tight ends. You don't really want either of them. These are, I hate to do it. They're only valuable in best ball because everybody's valuable in best ball, but I don't, I don't want any of them in seasonal. Can you see a path where Aguilar has a good season here? Yeah, if Edelman's done, if Edelman's toast, and they do, I don't even know if they do need to trade Nikhil Harry. Aguilar last year, look, he broke out, and he was obviously not completely done for with the Eagles, and there was something left with him. Do I think last year is potentially the best we'll see? Sure. Uh, is he going to cap out probably as a low-end wide receiver three? Also, sure, especially playing with Cam Newton. But can he still have value? Yes, as well, but I think a lot of it depends on whether or not... If Edelman's back, I don't see him being more than like a wide receiver five just because, again, we're talking about Cam Newton, two tight ends, Edelman, and him. That That's a lot of pieces for a run-heavy and a not-pass-heavy offense. All right, let's stick in the division. Let's go to the Jets. They signed Corey Davis. That goes along with <laughs> Mimsy and Jamison. How many Crab. times did Tim tweet you? Oh, my God, the, the text exchange I've been on with, too. I'm Because so, we recorded the show yesterday... <laughs> And we put it out right away. And then that signing happened like an hour later. It was like, fuck, I, I really wish this would have happened while we were on the show. He's already telling me that Corey Davis, you know, is like the best receiver in football now. And that Aguilar, he liked Aguilar, uh, but Aguilar is trash now that he signed with the Patriots. But Corey Davis, like he's the greatest. This is very reminiscent to last year when he told me that Brashad Perriman was a top five receiver in the NFL. Oh. The, mo the moment he signed with the Jets. So if the Patriots are trying to sell low on Nikhil Harry, it, it does kind of feel like the Jets bought high on Corey Davis here it feels like they did but so you know this because you brought it up before and i wasn't even trying to play victory lap when you did it but like he was good this year's Devonte parker but i didn't expect it to be that good even calling for that and i do think what we just saw is part of why Corey davis broke out because he had an alpha across from him i as much as i loved him coming out of college i think like some wide receivers He's a great 1B. Like, I'm not putting him all the way down as a number two, but he needs somebody on his level, preferably better than him, to really do what he did last year at the NFL level, unless he's going to take another step forward. And my problem there is with Sam Darnold as of today, obviously, but Sam Darnold, this offense, I don't see him taking another step forward because he's going to get number one coverage. Jameson Crafter is a target machine, and we know that, and has a great rapport with every quarterback he's played with. When healthy, sure. Denzel Mims is headed into his second season. I'm not the biggest Mims fan, but he's going to be a factor. So you have three wide receivers. He's going to get the number one attention. You still have Sam Darnold at quarterback. So unless they make a massive upgrade at quarterback, and I'm not talking about, I love Fields, but I'm not talking about Fields or Wilson because that's a rookie. A rookie quarterback I don't think is that big of an upgrade over Sam Darnold. So unless Deshaun Watson walks onto this field somebody by a trade, 
I think Corey Davis is exactly what he was last year, a wide receiver three, uh, even being the number one with the Jets. And I know Tim right now is cursing me watching this. Well, unless Mims make a, makes a significant leap in year two, which is you know, possible, I suppose. He did refer to himself as a Michael Thomas type. So maybe you know his words will come to fruition with that. But he was banged up for a lot of the beginning of last year, then got hurt for yeah. a bit. Then Joe Flacco was playing quarterback. So you know, maybe you can give him a bit of a pass and maybe he can take a leap to be a wide receiver one. But kind of the way that you see it right now is they have three wide receiver twos. And you know, we're three years past the point where Chris Herndon is going to be the best tight end in the NFL. So <laughs> it, it's a bit problematic from that regard. They knew, like, is Prashad, did Prashad Perriman get cut? Like, is he still on this team? He's a free agent. So here's the thing that, and you bring up <clears throat> Prashad Perriman when I was about to go, 60 vacated targets. That's it. 60. So I put this in the breakdown. I said, even if you take Braxton Berrios' 55, say Berrios doesn't even exist anymore because he wasn't really supposed to be used that much last year. But even if you took that, now you have 115 targets between Perriman and Braxton Berrios. Those aren't all going to go to Corey Davis if Mims is going to his second season and improves. And if you look at Crowder's, Crowder's was over 12 games because of missed time. Mims was over, what, what I think it was nine games. Let me tell you. Yeah, nine games. So you had his missed time. Again, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting a frog in my throat over here. Uh, I don't think that you're going to see the volume for Corey Davis to be a wide receiver two or better. That's the biggest thing is he needs 100-plus targets because 100-plus targets as the number one with Sam Darnold or whatever quarterback, there's a lot there. So, yeah, I think that you're just asking too much given the situation, the quarterback, and the target share. I swear to God, like Jeff Smith had 45 targets for the Jets last year. Cause I remember playing that jabroni on draft at like 3K one week and he was just horrible. Uh, either way, if you had to rank the Jets receivers as of this moment with Sam Darnold being at quarterback, I think number one is still very clearly Jamison Crowder, isn't it? I would still go Crowder, just especially if we're doing half and full point PPR. Maybe you can make a case for Corey Davis and non. Do, do people, people even play not like no PPR whatsoever? surprisingly they still by the way 37 targets for jeff smith you weren't far off uh herndon had 45 in 16 games um but yeah there's still a surprising amount from people who got to get in the questions of their rankings last year in the column that still play non-ppr so yes they still are out there so that's the only case you can make it's funny what five six years ago pat and we're like all of a sudden like if you play in ppr now it's like if you play in non-ppr uh but that's the only area i could see Corey davis edging out jameson crowder uh but you know what if you wanted to take Davis over Crowder just because we – it's safe to say at this point that Jameson Crowder is an injury risk every single year. There's no question about it. No, that's true. And I think if you're shooting for upside, Corey Davis has that potential. But I think I would just – if I was right. shooting for upside on the Jets, I'd probably just take Mims at you know three times less the cost, at least presumably right now, and that's probably how it's going to shake down. If I wanted consistency and then try to gamble on like health luck, Crowder would most definitely be that guy. For me, here's an interesting one. The Jags have upgraded their offensive line. They signed Philip Dorsett mm -hmm. as a speed option, which probably means the end of Keelan Cole, I'm guessing. And yeah. Carlos Hyde signs as a backup, which is fantastic news for James Robinson. And that's where I agree. I actually said that no real threat. Jameson, Ro Jameson, <laughs> James Robinson's locked inside the top 10 as I had him at their way too early rankings. And that was because... I could have been wrong and we could still be wrong. Like I could still be wrong. They could still draft somebody and draft a pass catcher, which would be the bigger threat to James Robinson. But Carlos Hyde outside of one season hasn't been that big of a pass catcher in the NFL. And I'm not saying he can't catch the ball, but it just really hasn't been used that way. This is just to, you know, keep James Robinson safe. Is Carlos Hyde going to get a bigger share than any Jaguars running back did last year? 
Sure, because I think if you add them all up, it was maybe 3% of the work. So James Robinson is not going to be seeing 95, 97% every single week. But you drop him down to 90% with a good offensive line, Trevor Lawrence and a better offense around him, and you can have the efficiency offset the lost touches percentage-wise. Carlos Hyde, again, not a threat to take James James Robinson's job. Um, Going from Jameson Crowder to James Robinson makes me want to keep saying Jameson. But, yeah, James Robinson, this is good news. Uh, Unless, again, like I said, if they draft a pure pass catcher like a Tariq Cohen type out of this draft, then you get mildly concerned. Yeah, so I like Robinson, and the way that I would look at it, it's not necessarily like a 95%, 90% split. If I can find a running back that garners 75% of his team's snaps in any given week, that guy is a stud running back, at least just based on volume. Yes. And he is going to be above that number, at least right now. Because I just, Carlos Hyde's fine, and he's someone that you can play in a pinch to give like seven touches to a game if you really want to. But we've just been down this road way too often, and it's not happening. <laughs> No, a hundred percent. And, you know, even in a time with replacing other people, like with the Seahawks, there's like little blips here and there, but it wasn't really the guy performance wise even. So I'm not worried about Carlos Hyde being here. I know people are drawing the dots and or connecting the dots with Urban Meyer and back to Ohio State and all that type of stuff. But no, the, that's probably the familiarity that brought him over there, but it's not it. And I think somebody tweeted this yesterday. I, for, I completely forgot Clarice Hyde has been on this team before. I don't remember him being on the Jags. When the hell was he on the Jags? Somebody said he was with the Jags earlier. Maybe that person was wrong. Maybe you're I, thinking. Maybe you're like, thinking of Fred Taylor. No, he said. What? What did he say? I'm trying to find the tweet. Where's? Yeah, he was with Jacksonville in 2018. Cleveland and Jacksonville in 2018. See? I, that doesn't exist in my memory at this point. <laughs> See, I like, told like you since he so, so like since then he's been on what Kansas City, Kansas City, Seattle, and Houston. No, just Seattle and Houston. Wasn't he on Kansas City at one point? Or did they let him go before no, the no, year? I think, I think now you're mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, enough teams just uh, all these backup <laughs> running backs. But uh, the, the point was going to be that this is good news for James Robinson. <laughs> Philip Dorsett yes. doesn't really move the needle for me. But it's like, I guess they threw cold water on the DJ Chark trade, right? That was never a thing. That, apparently that was somebody out there who had like predicted one out of 50 like signings a couple years ago and then uh tweeted out the hunter henry or the johnny thing i think it was the johnny thing tried to predict that and he was off on the money but he like took it as a victory lap so then he tweeted out that dj chark was in a trade likely to happen for orlando brown and picks involved and the actual so con came out and was like that's a bunch of crap. So I yeah, act, that's all you need to I, know. I mean, I like DJ Chark, but I like that trade. That was a good trade, I think, for Jacksonville and for Baltimore. And I think that's I think that's what he is. He's trying to make sense out of it. I don't that would have been miserable for DJ Chark fantasy wise. Sure, sure, but I think just for both teams in like real life, I think that was a great move. I think that was a fine move. Yeah, I think that would have made a lot of sense. But thankfully, that did not happen if you like DJ Chark. <laughs> this is true. So let's move to the Fitzmagic. Ryan Fitzpatrick signs in Washington. He's presumably the starter he'll battle it out with Tyler Heineke it looks like or Heineke sorry it looks like uh my one note on this is the guy who's being drafted albeit it's very early uh and played through like two high ankle sprains last year my guy scoring McLaurin top 10 let's go I have no problem with that it's like McLaurin was outside my wide receiver ones just barely in my way to early rankings. And the biggest thing with Fitzpatrick, and I have the numbers here from the article where I was posting all this type of stuff. Uh, so one, I'll go to Ian Hartsitz. Hartsitz from Pro Football Focus mentioned the fact that in 10 seasons of 10 plus starts for Patrick, 
Hushmanzada had 137 targets. Stevie Johnson had 148, 141, 134. Andre Johnson, 146. Brandon Marshall, 128, 173. Devontae Parker, 128. Derek McLaurin's getting his damn share of his targets. They're coming. It's going to be exactly what it was last year, potentially even a little bit more. So... Terry McLaurin getting Fitzpatrick, assumably, for 16 games. Yeah, wide receiver one. It would still be a low-end wide receiver one, but you put him there. And now we can say Logan Thomas, yes, he can repeat as a top-10 tight end. And I don't know if, the, you know, I thought Corey Davis made a lot of sense for Washington, but if they don't address the wide receiver two position and it's Kelvin Harmon coming back from another injury or Antonio Gandy-Golden going to his second year, Either one of those could pop off as a wide receiver four because you know Fitzmagic's going to be throwing the ball. Yeah, and just look at the performance that Ryan Fitzpatrick has made, the difference he has made to wide receivers even over the past three years. Like he, Before Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay, it was Fitzmagic getting it done with Godwin and Mike Evans. He made Devontae yeah. Parker a thing in Miami, and it might not necessarily translate to wins on the field, but whoever the wide receiver one is on these teams gets propped up. A hundred percent. So I'm really interested to see if they do bring it, you know, because they didn't bring in Corey Davis. You know, who make a ton of sense to get excited about your boy, Marv, bring in Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones would be a nice compliment to Terry McLaurin. I think just being a big body receiver, not to say that like McLaurin's like tiny, but he, no, he has that after the catch. He has that speed element to him as well. I think that'd be terrific. I think Marvin Jones would hold pretty much the exact same value he had with the Lions. He had a little bit touchdown reliant, but as a wide receiver four with potential weekly wide receiver two upside, Marvin Jones, Terry McLaurin, Fitzpatrick, Logan Thomas, and now you get potentially, you know, whatever they do in the backfield, at least starts with Antonio Gibson. This is going to be a scary offense all of a sudden. Yeah, I like it. Uh, New Orleans restructures Taysom Hill and signs him to like $3 billion, but they'll never have to pay him that money. And then they re-sign Jameis Winston. Now there's talk about an open competition between these two for the starter's job. You got to think it's Jameis, right? Like why else bring him back at this? Why would he sign there knowing that he could <laughs> sign with Chicago and be a starter or he could sign with New Orleans and be a backup? Yeah, so, uh, real quick breaking news. We don't have to worry about Rob Tanyan. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 have that one, I have that one written down for the end. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, yeah, Jameis Winston, I said the same thing. I don't think you signed him. And, yes, it is a one-year deal, and that Taysom Hill contract is going to – the NFL is also going to do something. They ruined it, just like Bill Belichick ruining things when he figured out that loophole in the formation on the field. The NFL was like, okay, cool, you did that, but now we're stopping it. I think the same thing's going to happen with that Taysom Hill nonsense. Um, but I think both of them, they're in an open competition, in quotes, but I agree with you with the Winston situation. He's going in. I assume that he's assuming – He's the front runner unless he just bombs. So if Winston's that quarterback, if Taysom Hill's a quarterback, either one of them we know from Drew Brees is a downgrade for Camaro. Like Camaro was in the conversation to be number two, number three running back, no overall player off the board. But now with Winston, now with Hill, he takes that downturn to probably tier two of running backs, which isn't a huge drop, but it just takes him off that threat of being the number two. Uh, what this really does for, especially if Winston is the quarterback, is it props up not only Michael Thomas, but whoever the number two wide receiver is, and then whether or not it ends up being a number three wide receiver or a tight end and Adam Trotman, whatever the number three option is, is going to get a boost too, because Jameis Winston doesn't get back to throwing for almost 6,000 yards, but like, what was it, 5,100 5, or 5,200 that year? If he only throws for 4,600, it's still more aggressive and still better than what the Saints were doing. The Saints only attempted 522 passes last year. So maybe he gets to 575, also short of his 600-plus attempts. But 575 from Winston, 
is going to get close to 30 touchdowns again and is going to get you 47, 4,800 yards. So, yeah, boost to everybody, but the downgrade is with Camaro, unfortunately. Uh, and a lot of that just, I think, has to do with the receiving totals because Jameis is not necessarily a check down king. He's not afraid to take the Well, he just loves looking downfield right. and forcing the ball. Maybe that's changed after being under Sean Payton a year in the system. to try. Well, to that's the big thing, too. I had that. So he threw to running backs 18.9% of the time past two years. Alex Smith was the leader, actually, the past two years. But Drew Brees was second at 28.5%. So it's almost a 10% point drop to go from Brees to Winston at quarterback throwing to running backs. One difference you could make in that is that Jameis didn't have Elvin Kamara in Tampa Bay. Sure. Knowing that that's such a large part of his game and how effective he can be in the passing game, that maybe we do see an uptick in that number. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I say uptick in number. That's why I say Kamara is not a huge Like, I'm not putting Kamara all the way down with, you know, the James Robinson tier, which would be the tier three of running backs, in my opinion. But again, it just really knocks him from being number two. Uh, potentially you could also look at it a different way too where whether it would be Taysom Hill or Drew Brees that the a dot on both those guys passes are pretty low although Taysom Hill did take a few shots that you just assume that Jameis is going to be looking down the field a little bit more and all of a sudden the defense just can't cheat up to box in Kamara that maybe his long runs come back again where we saw that kind of stunted the past two years like that, would be, that. that, that or, would be that would be a case at least or bigger arrow routes and wheel route uh, yardage totals that'd be fun too yeah so new orleans things are looking up if Jameis is the quarterback probably looking down if Taysom is the quarterback the only other two i really have and bob tunyon's one of them Devonte booker signs with the giants um there there is a late round handcuff <laughs> to draft uh yes uh, that's the only thing and I, I scoffed at first just because you know it's booker but that's that's really what it is because wayne gallman's not coming back uh, Alfred Morris is a free agent. I don't even know if they really had anybody else on the roster. Elijah Penny, but he is a fullback. So, yeah, that's that's the reason you do it is because at this point, this is two years in a row now for Saquon Barkley. So we all hope he can stay healthy, and I would still take him number two, number three running back off the board because he's the only person that can really contend with Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey. But that's a huge risk at this point with what we've seen for two years in a row. So, yes, I do agree with you. Devontae Booker is out there. He's a great late-round handcuff to have. Yeah, because he does really feel like he will be the next man up if something happens to Barkley again. And he's not one of those handcuffs where you're like, oh, he's in like a split situation. You could play Kamara and Latavius Murray both at the same time. Now, if Saquon Barkley is hurt, you can play Devontae Booker. If he's not hurt, you don't play. He's just a bench spot. <laughs> those are my favorite types of handcuffs in a way. Like I like Murray just because of his upside is so high in the Saints offense if something happens to Kamara. But at the same time, like people get duped into playing him in different weeks. It was like Alexander Madison going into last Madison. Week. Like that was, sort of, that, that was sort of the thing. It was like, well, you know, Delvin Cook is so great, but you know, you could play Madison as a flex if you wanted to. It's like, no, you can't. He's not good. <laughs> And he like, and what it was like maybe five touches, and then you hope that okay, oh, well, we got the forty and a touchdown this week. See, I told you you could use them. No, you can't. Like you just said, no, yeah. And, like, and, and well, some of it is like protection against. There's anybody it, else. It's like protection against yourself in fantasy drafts. Some people just. If you go into it knowing that these guys are a bit more inflated, knowing what their role can be, and they do have this baked-in, at least, idea that you could play them in weeks where the starter is still healthy, that they end up with, like, an 8th round, ninth round ADP, where these other guys have 16th round ADP, or even larger than that, depending on the format that you play in. Maybe they're free agents heading into the season. But as long as you just tell yourself, I'm not going to play these guys, if you have that discipline... (laughs) 
then it's all it's fine. You can take the pick on them and you can save them because you know that they're running back ones if anything does happen to the starter. I can't say that about Devontae Booker. He's probably just a guy you can play, fill in as a flex if Barkley is out. Maybe he can be like running back 15 or something like that just based on volume. But enough people fall into the situation where they spend the draft capital on a player like an Alexander Madison. Now they feel obligated to Tony play him, which is the year. wrong idea. Yeah, Tony Pollard's going to be the same way. And he's going to have good weeks. He'll have like three of them if Zeke plays every single game. But you're not going to know when those weeks are coming. No, you're not. Uh, so there's like a whole litany of them. And for the longest time, remember, like the only ones you could say you brought up Latavius Murray, uh, if we get a clear answer, who's the compliment with Austin Eckler next year, that could be another one. But they're, they're, those are few and far between. I'm with you. I'd rather have the guy. I, I don't usually draft Latavius Murray because of the cost. But like also you said, it's like I'd rather just have the guy that I know steps into a situation where they're not necessarily as good, but they get 70% of the work than trying to say like, all right, well, maybe he can hopefully get 10 touches this week. Yeah, maybe, hopefully. Yes, please. Oh, you know what's going to be another situation next year? The Clyde Edwards-Alaire Damian Williams messed it. And they just brought back the other. They brought back Daryl Williams too. So screw that whole situation. Fun. I actually end up with Latavius almost every single year because you get the three weeks where he's a, like a top five running back. And that's good enough for me. <laughs> it depends on where his cost is. I, 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 I'm always in drafts where he's going seventh, eighth round, and I'm never just going to do that. I usually take him in the eighth. I, I feel like that's fine. If I can get, if I can get, if I can get three weeks, and it, I mean, granted, it, it leads to Kamara getting hurt, but you know, that tends to happen a few times every year. But if you can get those three, like almost guaranteed, you know, at least let's say top ten weeks from a running back in the eighth round, like it's usually better than my eighth round pick. <laughs> yeah, it definitely could be. Are we going to talk rumors? Uh, no, I just wanted to talk about Bob Tunyon for a second. He resigns with the Packers, it seems. None of this is official. This is still the tampering period. Wednesday is actually the first right. official day of free agency. So you might get, uh, what's his name? Anthony Barr backing out from signing with the Jets again or something like that. But that's what I said with Janu. Like, what happens if Janu backs out and then it's just Hunter Henry? That'd well, be great. Yeah, then it's a different situation, obviously. And then the first 10 minutes of this show, just go, and, just go down the tubes. Fun times for us. <laughs> but Robert Tunyon, like, I'd much rather have him than Henry or Janu if they're both in New England. A thousand percent. And that's even if they finally give Aaron Rodgers a second wide receiver, still rather have Robert Tunyon. There's not even a question there because that, I just don't want to split tight. I don't even like tight ends in general after the first four or five let alone somebody splitting with another player like that was their biggest complaint with oj howard and cameron Brait. remember i mean before even all this mess started it was oj howard oh my god he's unstoppable but then they kept asking him to block because he's such a good blocker and cameron Brait's out there getting two catches for 30 yards and a touchdown so we're just going to be doing the same thing i'm with you uh, robert tunyon at tj you know what Hawkinson even with the downgrade at tight end I'd say Higby now that Gerald Everett's gone I'll say a lot of tight ends that are on their own even Evan Ingram who can't hold on to the ball or stay healthy himself just give me a tight end that's not sharing work yeah I can see that uh, it's a second round tender on Tunyon by the way so that's probably not going to be matched by a lot of people and we'll see and then Irv Smith Big Irv. Give me Big Irv instead of either of the tight ends with the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Yeah, you don't worry about your – what's the guy's name? Ty Conklin? No, I don't worry about Ty Conklin too much. Uh, they, they, they do – but see, that offense does work in the two tight ends, but at least it's usually consistently the, the one over the other. All right, that's what I got for all of the latest signings, at least fantasy-wise. Was there any other signing that piqued your interest? No, because I'm assuming you already covered the whole like Dak, Cam, yeah. Tyrell Williams, and all those. So Yeah, I did that with Radcliffe last week if people want to go check that out of all the guys who had already signed or been franchised at that time. All right, 
We'll keep it quick. Jake Seeley at All In Kid on Twitter, theathletic.com. What kind of work you got coming up this week? Uh, doing the free agency tracker as it happens, if skill position as it happens and updating. By the way, the one dollar offer is back, so one dollar a month if you haven't signed up for it, which is just crazy. And then back to baseball for a little bit, but then rookies for the NFL draft. I'm happy for that. That starts next week. Yeah, people want a hundred bucks, you can get into a draw, just straight up hundred American dollars if you rate and review and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bets, a new show on Mayo Media Network. You leave an Apple Podcast review, five stars, something nice about the show, in your Twitter handle, email address, some way I can contact you. If you are a winner, we're drawing that on Monday for the hundred dollar winner. So please support Mayo Media Network and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bets. You miss Garyan? Then all of a sudden you can find Garyan up there too, and your your co-host is on this week doing rankings uh dvr so one of the hosts of one of the major fantasy baseball podcasts lending his time over to mayo media network this week as well you can check out mayo media network for all of the latest on every sport except for the nba we're not deep diving on the nba as of yet we missed the boat on that so we'll be on that next year but either way subscribe to the network and smash the like on the way out i'm pat mayo i'll see you next time experience experience